Part 4 of The Secret Garden of the Soul This episode discusses the pillars, the four worlds and the tetragrammaton. The Sephiroth may also be viewed as three columns or pillars. The central pillar extends from Kether to Malkuth, the left-hand pillar from Bina to Hod, and the right-hand pillar from Hokmah to Netzah. These three pillars depict the potencies of the three supernals in extension. The left-hand pillar is known as the Pillar of Judgment, receiving its name from the Safira Gabura, which means judgment or severity. It expresses the feminine quality of Bina, which is known as Ama, the supernal mother. The right-hand pillar is known as the Pillar of Mercy, receiving its name from the Safira Hazet. It expresses the masculine quality of Hokmah, which is also known as Abba, the supernal father. The central pillar is neutral and androgynous. It receives the nature of both pillars and combines them in the unity that is the essential attribute of Keter. The pillar of judgment consists of three sephiroth, Bina, Gibura and Hod. To the sephira of Bina is ascribed understanding. To Gibura, judgment, sometimes fear. To Hod, splendor or glory. The pillar of mercy consists of the three Sephiroth, Hochma, Hezed, and Netzach. To Hochma is attributed wisdom, to Hezed mercy, and to Netzach victory, or endurance. The middle pillar, the pillar of mildness, consists of the four Sephiroth, Ketha, Tifereth, Yezod, and Malkuth. Among other considerations, these Sephiroth denote states of soul-consciousness that may be understood thus. Malkuth represents a soul's consciousness of the material world by the senses. It is invariably in an instinctive and reactive state. Yezod corresponds to the interior psychic realm of the imagination. It is an astral world of images, dreams and fantasies, and is invariably appetitive and reactive. Tifereth represents the place of self-consciousness. It is the realm of pure thought, devoid of images and sensation, although in an unregenerate state it is invariably subject to desire and ambition, and as such exists in a world of moral conflict between personal desire and social obligation. It is here that the mystic realizes the ephemeral nature of desire and learns to surrender the appetite of human will to the spiritual will of the divine. At the summit of the middle pillar is Ketha, the wellspring of all existence, the source and destiny of life. Although in principle separate, the left and right hand pillars operate in conjunction with each other to define the dynamics of polarity. Because of them, we experience space and time, male and female, form and generation, life and death, positive and negative, light and darkness, hot and cold, etc., the potencies of the two pillars are harmonized in and by the middle pillar, which is both their center of gravity and the pole around which they orbit. The middle pillar is known as the pillar of mildness. In Kabbalah, the aspirant learns to identify the nature and influences of the left and right hand pillars, to see them as factors influencing behavior and conditioning perception. Having identified them, the aspiring mystic may then proceed to develop the ability to shape 
or modify behavior according to the principles of the middle pillar, the pillar of mildness. It is axiomatic in Kabbalistic schools that too much severity is cruelty and too much mercy is weakness and the ebbing away of the will. This rule, applied to each level of the pillar of mildness, is an aid to the evolving soul on its path of spiritual regeneration. There are other attributes to the pillars. To Gebura is attributed to the left arm and to Hesed the right arm. For example, A.E. Waite states in his book The Holy Kabbalah that the right arm draws the immensity of space in love and the left arm draws the immensity of space in rigor. To Hode is attributed to the left hip, to Hnetzak the right hip. In some quarters, the four rivers of Eden are attributed to Hazen, Gibura, Netzach and Hod. The middle pillar is likened to the tree of life, and the other pillars to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. There is a connection between these pillars and the two pillars that were set up in front of the sanctuary in King Solomon's temple. See the first book of Kings or the second book of Chronicles. The description of the building of the temple is in itself a study in sacred geometry. In Kabbalistic terms, however, the temple is the interior of the soul. Its outer courtyard is Malkut, and it was divided into two. The first part was known as the people's court, the second as the priest's court. The symbolism here is very revealing. The Azord is the sanctuary often described as a holy place, at the entrance of which stands the pillars Yakin and Boaz. Within the depth of the holy place lies the entrance to the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum of the temple, which on the tree of life is Tifereth. The entrance to the inner temple is then through harmonizing the forces of the two pillars, the pillar of mercy corresponding with Yakin and the pillar of judgment which corresponds with Boaz. The middle pillar, the pillar of mildness, is none other than the aspiring mystic, who must first overcome the world of the senses in order to enter the inner temple. If the Sephiroth represent the powers and potencies by which Ensof is revealed, then the whole Sephirotic realm is a representation of Ensof in the form of the Tree of Life. However, this realm is an invisible realm, inaccessible to the human mind, and would remain so if it were not made manifest through a process of graduated emanation. Thus the tree of life may be recognized and understood in four increasingly material modes with distinct qualities and attributes. These four modes are described as four worlds or levels of divine expression and manifestation. The first is absolute, the archetypal world. The second is Bria, the creative world. The third is Yetzirah, the formative world and the fourth is Asaya, the material world. It is possible to regard these four worlds as a Sephirothic tree. Thus the first world is absolute, the world of emanation, to which are attributed to Sephiroth Keta, Ochma and Bina. From this world emerge in succession the remaining three worlds, Bria, the world of creation, to which are attributed to Sephiroth, Hazed, Gibura and Tifereth, yet Zira, the world of formation, to which are attributed to Sephiroth, Netzach, Ode and Yezod, and finally, Asiah, the world of making, which consists of Malkuth alone. It is also possible 
to see the whole Sephirotic tree as the archetypal model for each of the four worlds, concerning which it is written in Isaiah, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. See Isaiah 43, verse 7. Thus to the world of Atzalim are attributed the words, Everyone who was called by my name, signifying that this is the world in which Ensoth manifests in the form of the archetypal man, Adam Kadmon, through whom the entire creation is brought into being. Asaluth is the world in which the tree of life is first established and through which the divine archetypes are expressed in the lower worlds. To the world of Bria are attributed the words whom I have created for my glory, signifying that this world is where, allegorically speaking, creation is conceived as in the mind of an architect, and wherein the archetypal Adam is created. Thus God created man in his own image. See Genesis 1.27. This androgynous Adam does not possess a corporeal body, but a body of pure spirit, as yet without form or image. The world of Bria is the throne of Metatron, the angel of the presence, and the abode of the holy archangels. To the world of Yetzira are attributed the words, I have formed him, signifying that this world is where creation is given a form, again, allegorically speaking, as in the mind of an artist. It is in this world that Adam is formed. Thus, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. In this world, Adam has both a form and an image, but the substance of his form is of the nature of light. To this world is attributed the choirs of angels, concerning whom Isaac Meyer, drawing upon the writings of Ibn Gebirol, wrote, In this world reside those intelligent and incorporeal beings, each wrapped in a luminous vestment, which are sexless and capable, by divine permission, of assuming a form sensible to mankind when they appear to him. See Kabbalah by Isaac Myers, page 329. To the world of Isaiah are attributed the words, Yes, I have made him, signifying that this world is where creation takes its most concrete form. It is the world of matter into which Adam fell and was given a coat of skin. In this world, Adam and Eve are separate beings, subject to suffering and mortality. This world is under the governance of the planetary and astral forces of the cosmos and is the densest and most concrete of all the spiritual worlds. It is a world of contending forces beneath which lies the abode of evil spirits, which are considered to be the grossest and most deficient of forms. These evil spirits are continually in conflict with the forces of the worlds above and are particularly injurious to humanity, ever seeking to pervert man's nature and lead it away from following divine law and the path of spiritual regeneration. From the above, we can see that Kabbalistic doctrine demonstrates the existence of four Adams, or one Adam in four modes. These modes are the archetypal, the creative, the formative, and the world of making. The first corresponds to Adam Kadmon, the perfect heavenly model. The second corresponds to Adam as a being of pure spirit, a perfect reflection of Adam Kadmon, 
The third corresponds to Adam as a denser and more consolidated representation of the spiritual Adam. His body is a body of light, whose natural place is in the Garden of Eden, or Paradise. The fourth corresponds to the fallen Adam, who is clothed in the body of flesh. In each of these worlds reside many kinds of beings, spiritual and otherwise. In Atsaluth, the highest of the worlds, dwell only the Sephiroth of the archetypal man, Adam Kadmon. Each Sephira embodies a divine principle or name. In the world of Priya reside the archangels under the leadership of Metatron, who is considered to be the greatest of the archangels. The true meaning of the name Metatron is unknown, but some sources maintain that the name is derived from Metator, the Latin for a guide. He is also identified as the angel of the presence, and is charged with the care of humankind. He is said to be the link between the human and the divine, and legend has it that he incarnated as the patriarch Enoch, although this claim is contentious. He serves as a scribe in the heavenly court and has been depicted as the masculine form of the Shekinah and the angel who led the people of Israel through the wilderness. He is believed to stand before the throne of glory and also guards the Hekalot, the seven halls of light, through which the Mechabar mystics, the riders or descendants of the chariot, must pass in order to reach the throne of God. In the third world, the world of Yetzirah, reside the ten angelic hosts, presided over by the archangels. The word angel derives from the Persian angaros, meaning a courier, or from the Greek angelos, meaning a messenger. They are incorporeal beings said to be either asexual or androgynous and clothed in garments of light. The angels function as officers of the heavenly realm, and must submit to the bidding of the great archangels. They watch over different parts of creation, over heavenly bodies, people, places, seasons, and times, as well as elemental forces. Aligned with Malkuth of Yetzirah is the tenth order of angels, the Ishim, consisting, so it is taught, of the beatified souls of just men and women, as described by St. John in Revelations 14, verses 1 to 5. The fourth world, the world of Messiah, the world into which Adam and Eve fell, is the world of matter. It is made up of the grossest elements of the higher worlds, and is the abode of elemental beings. In this world, humanity must struggle with the contending forces that make demands upon the soul. On the one hand, there is a call of the spiritual world, inspiring the soul to overcome the instinctive and appetite of nature and restore itself to its true place in heaven. On the other hand, there are the powerful biological needs of this world, forever making their presence felt. In this world, the soul also has to contend with the perverse realm of darkness and demons, for at its lowest level, a sire is the place of shades and shells. These nether regions are the haunts of evil spirits and demons that feed on them, and any other creature they can beguile. Beneath this world is a perverse and inverted world wherein similar creatures reside. This world contains the orders of retrograde spirits corresponding by inversion 
to the angels of Yetzirah, and the archfiends corresponding after the same manner to the archangels of the Briatic world. We'll see Waits Holy Kabbalah, page 256. These creatures seek incessantly to undermine and seduce the soul from its true calling. For the Kabbalist, there can be no compromise, for such creatures stop at nothing to fulfill their desire to destroy humanity. The word tetragrammaton derives from the Greek tetra, meaning four, and grammar meaning letter. It is a word with four letters, therefore any four-lettered word constitutes a tetragrammaton. However, the tetragrammaton referred to here is a term that was used by early Kabbalists to denote the unutterable name of God. In ancient Israel, among the Hebrews, the speaking of this name, yod heh vod was forbidden, except to the high priest and then only once a year in the Temple on the Day of Atonement. Otherwise, it was considered blasphemous for anyone to utter the name aloud, the punishment for which was death. A pious Jew, encountering the word when reading the scriptures aloud, replaced yod heh vod with the word Adonai, which means Lord, or uses the name Elohim in places where repetition is likely to occur. According to Kabbalistic doctrine, it is taught that the true pronunciation of the great name yod heh vod heh has been lost to mankind. Some say it was lost at the time of the Babylonian destruction of the First Temple. Others say it was lost at the time of the destruction of the Second Temple, when the armies of Rome destroyed the Kingdom of Israel. Others claim it was lost at the passing of Simeon ben Yohai, the great 2nd century sage and reputed author of the Zohar. Whatever the truth of the matter may be, the Tetragrammaton lies at the very heart of Kabbalah and much of the secret doctrine is concerned with it. The word itself may seem a straightforward thing to enunciate from an English language perspective, but this is not the case with ancient Aramaic or Hebrew, which did not have true vowels, but had instead vowel points or marks that indicate how the word might be pronounced. This in itself is no simple matter, as originally the Jewish language was written without vowel points and the vocalization of words was something that was passed on by word of mouth. This only began to change during the Talmudic period, between the 2nd and 6th centuries, when punctuation systems began to emerge, of which a detailed explanation of this complex subject is beyond the reach of this discussion. But for those who are interested, I suggest they look to an informative article entitled The Pronunciation of Hebrew in the Encyclopedia Judaica, Volume 13. Whatever the truth might be concerning the nature and timing of this loss, the fact remains that for a very long time Kabbalists have been left to work with the consonants yod heh vod heh, which are pronounced, as it were, symbolically. This has never been an issue to the faithful of the Jewish religion, who do not seek to utter the name out of the context of the law. However, it has been for centuries the focal point, if not the obsession, of countless magicians and other esoterically-minded people. Indeed, magicians and wonder-workers have included it in magical formulas from the earliest times 
and it is to be found in numerous medieval magical texts and grimoires. Whether such formulas are efficacious or not, and many would stand in defence of both sides of the argument, the Tetragrammaton has ever been considered sacred, and even when used symbolically, is immensely powerful, particularly to those whose minds are open to right. Yet it must be said that in many ways the sanctity and efficacy of the name resides not merely in its utterance, but also in the ciphers of the written word. As such it is the key to the esoteric doctrines of the Kabbalah, for the reality is that to the Kabbalist, the name is the all-encompassing name of God, containing the entire creation in its primary expression. Thus it is written in the Sefer Yetzirah that God, by the power of his name, made every creature and everything that is, and the production of all things from the twenty-two letters, is the proof that they are all but parts of one living body. This living body is the Tetragrammaton, the letters of which represent and enclose all ten of the Sephiroth. There are several ways of viewing this. One way is to consider the four worlds as an extension of the Tetragrammaton, as discussed earlier. In another approach, the uppermost tip of the Yod represents Kether, while the bulk of its body represents Hokmah. The first He represents Bina, and the Vau represents Tifereth and the five Sephiroth surrounding it. The final He represents Malkut. In practice, the Yod defines the masculine principle of Hokmah. It is the supernal father. He defines the feminine principle Bina. It is the supernal mother. The union of Hod and He generate the entire creation and everything that exists within it. Creation is represented by Vau, the sun, who is a reflection, as it were, of Yod, the supernal father. His place is Tifereth, and the five Sephiroth that surround it. The final He is a reflection of the supernal mother. Her place is Malkuth, which is naturally receptive and feminine, receiving and giving form to the potencies of all the Sephiroth preceding it. Although she is sometimes called the daughter of the seven, she is more fittingly known as the bride of the Macroposopos, Tifereth, and through their union the world is sustained. The Tetragrammaton can also be viewed as the body of a man, where the Yod represents the head, the He represents the shoulders and the arms, the Vau represents the torso, and finally He represents the hips and legs. The same arrangement may be contemplated as a symbol of the divine archetype, or it may be viewed as a cipher of the spiritual matrix of the soul, in a form of a man arranged upon the tree, which in itself is extremely suggestive. Whichever way it is viewed, the Tetragrammaton forms an icon worthy of prolonged meditation. Another way of viewing the Tetragrammaton as a cipher is based upon the following text, and I quote, he selected three letters from among the simple ones and sealed them and formed them into the great name yod heh vo And with this he sealed the universe in six directions. He looked above and sealed the height with yod heh vo He looked below and sealed the depth with yod vo heh He looked forward and sealed the east with heh yod vo 
he looked backward and sealed the west with hay, vow, yod. He looked to the right and sealed the south with vow, yod, hay. He looked to the left and sealed the north with vow, hay, yod. Behold, from the ten ineffable sephiroths do proceed the one spirit of the gods and of the living air, water and fire, and also height, depth, east, west, south and north. End quote. See Westcott's Sefer Yedzira, page 17. Here is a formula written in a symbolic language that defines the parameters of the three-dimensional world in which we have our existence. Above, below, before, behind, left and right. These terms define how we experience our world and both our biological and psychological functions are dependent upon them. This need not be taken only literally, for we are dealing with a symbolic language that describes how the infinite and therefore unknowable nature of the Godhead is expressed in creation through the Sephiroth, the sublime vehicles of divine potential manifest in the form of Adam Kadmon. yod he he is a cipher representing the presence of the divine Ensoth in creation and when understood correctly establishes the sacred space in which we are established and sanctified by the name and presence of God, the Tetragrammaton. Another name by which the Tetragrammaton is known is the ineffable name, or Shema Maforesh. This 72-syllable name of God is based upon a very ancient formula constructed from verses 19, 20 and 21 of Exodus, chapter 14. Each of these verses contains 72 letters and 72 syllables are formed by combining them in a particular way. These names were often used to form talismans. The connection between the Tetragrammaton and the Shema Maforesh may be seen by arranging the cipher of yod he vo he in the form of a Pythagorean tetractus. Then an interesting geometric equation unfolds. But that must be the subject of another discussion, for it is too lengthy for the time allotted here. Until the next time, I thank you.